0: Philippians chapter 2. It is a joy to be with you this morning. I'm familiar with some of you. Mrs. Douglas and I were here 16 months ago. We did the wedding retreat, uh, marriage retreat, marriage conference, they call them different things, and uh, really, really enjoyed ourselves. And we still to this day talk about some of the folks here and uh, what an encouragement it was for us also. And so once again, good to see you. My better half, and she is definitely my better half, uh, she's the personality i 'm the i don 't know what i am i <laughs> um, and uh but she she couldn't be here, and I had to make the decision for her where we have a counseling ministry now we help hurting people, and what a joy it is to help hurting people on every pew there's a hurting person That's right. That's true. and so one of the ladies we have been uh counseling with for over a year that Uh, As a youth, she went through an incredibly traumatic experience. She finally, a year ago, came and kind of landed it all on me. And uh, it is amazing what the grace of God has done to that lady. But she kind of uh, was in a discouraging way, and I said, Tina, stay here. I want you to stay here to be by her side and keep her encouraged. So she wanted to be here, but her mean husband said, stay. There's a greater cause there Uh, back where we're at. So, again, good to be with you, and I have done a lot of praying here. Um, I just want God to feed you what he has fed me, and he has fed me a lot. God has given me a lot of grace. I am a first-generation Christian. How many of you out there are first-generation Christian? You kind of got dirty and messy, and then you, you got saved. Yeah, lots of you out there And uh, so, I think there's benefits to both. I don't think there's any wrong way. If I were a fourth-generation Christian, I would rejoice that I was a fourth-generation Christian. But I know the depths of sin, and I see the grace of God in my life every day. And it's a wonderful thing when you know God is gracious to you, whether you're a first-generation, third, fourth, or 25th-generation Christian, if there is such a thing. God is good to all of us, and we all say... Amen. Philippians chapter 4, by the way, I was uh, looking through your bulletin, and I'm so glad you used that picture, whoever it was, because you get to see four out of my five grandchildren. Aren't they precious? Yes, I agree, I agree. They're just totally precious. Um, And then the sixth one is on its way. How many grandparents do we have? Would you raise your hand? Aren't grandchildren just incredibly awesome? And uh, if I would have known that, you certainly have heard this before, if I would have known they were so great, I would have went straight to grandchildren and then had children later. So, hmm, think that one true. And then I was reminded also why I like your pastor so much. Uh, we go back a long ways, and uh, we were in college together in the same ministry, and uh, we're both army veterans, and so we had a camaraderie there. But I was looking at the announcements, and it says conceal carry class March six. Yeah. Praise God! <laughs> Isn't that that is so cool to come to a church and also have a concealed carry class? I like that. Excuse me, my my weapon is in the way here. I got. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's get serious here. Philippians chapter four. We'll go to the scriptures in just a moment, but before I do, before I read the passages here, and before I pray, I want to give you the context of what's going on. I'm one of those preachers that really believe you need to understand the context of what is being preached. I really do. If there's no context, the mind is like, what does this mean? Because you're naturally going to put it in context of what goes on in your world. This and where we're at are two different worlds, so many changes. And so the early church was always under persecution. Uh, we are here because of the blood of martyrs, we really are. Now, I'm just talking about humanly speaking, you know, but it, it's, it was difficult to be a Christian at that time. Great persecution, uh, ruthless uh, rulers that hated Christians. And so our forefathers were fed to lions. Our forefathers were burned at the stake. Our forefathers, well, just read the book of Fox's Books of Martyrs, and you'll, you'll learn all about how our forefathers uh, paid their, the price in blood so that, uh, to sustain that faith seed. So the early church was experiencing persecution. Now, if you're thinking, yeah, Brother Douglas, we're experiencing persecution at this time, I'm just going to shake my head and say, no, we're not. We're really not. I, It's not what we used to be, and we're fearful of losing our freedoms, which little by little, the control of speech, we see it all. We know what's going on. But I also see the signs of the end time, don't be afraid. That's a wonderful, glorious thing. It really is. We'll soon see Jesus. Whether it's in our lifetime, I don't know, but I believe it's in the 11th hour. It was written by Paul, who was in prison, and so that's, uh, that is a story in its own. There are no doctrinal corrections. Paul is not setting anybody straight here. The truth is he's appealing to their heart and trying to encourage him. You know, we all have family members or brothers and sisters in Christ that we know very well, and they will have their down days. We all have our down days. And what do we do? If we genuinely, genuinely care about them, we reach out to them and we encourage them. And that needs to happen. We need to have a revival in all of our churches with that. So there are five different subjects that are addressed, but one of the bigger subjects is unity. Unity. I mean, when there are difficult times, it's not time to scatter, it's time to unify. And this is what the church was doing. They were scattering. They were going back to Judaism, and well let's just go back to the old way. It was easier that way. Nobody persecuted us. Everybody accepted us and that's what I grew up with and that's what I know. And now we have Christianity and look what my life is going on in my life. And so they were just becoming very fearful and Paul's call to unity is found here in Philippians chapter 4 and Philippians chapter 2. Now let's start with Philippians chapter 4. Now let's start with 2 chapter 2. I'm going to take time to break down what God is communicating to us here through the Apostle Paul, and I do believe that each of us ought to get into the habit when we read our Bibles or when we come to church of praying a prayer, God, help me to understand what you're communicating to me. Now, we do it all the time in human behavior. We, We have a common language. It's called the English language. Now, the truth is, every time somebody speaks to me, I'm listening and I'm processing to understand. But isn't it amazing when any spiritual matter is communicated to us, we seem to not care. We should care. God, I pray you'll help me to understand what you're communicating to me. I pray that prayer often, nearly every morning when I open God's Word. And I'm going to ask you when I pray that you ask God to help you to understand what God is communicating to you. In verse number one of chapter two, it says, if there if there be therefore any consolation, I'm going to change that word just a little bit. No, I'm not changing God's word, but for you to understand exhortation. He exhorts us there. If there be therefore any exhortation or consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels—now that would be the same word we use as the heart—it was the bowels at that time. Uh, He stole my bowels is what they would say, or she, or he, or my grandchild stole my heart. It's just a a different culture at that time. And then it says, "And mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded." having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, again, I'm going to remind us here, who is he speaking to? Frightened Christians. Literally, in some cases, frightened for their life because you could be killed for being a Christian. You could lose your job. You could be ostracized from your family. Put yourself there. We are in the comforts of a beautiful church. We are in the comforts of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. It still is. It is swaying a little bit, and it's going through a difficult time, but we still are the greatest nation on this earth. And so transfer your mind to what they were going through. Verse number three, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, Paul isn't grabbing this out of the sky. He understands, and God understands human behavior. We are proud people. I don't know of anybody that is humble 100% of the time. I want to be humble, but you know what? Proud proudful prideful things come out of my mouth at times. It's like I don't like that. It's our DNA. So he's reminding them the first step to unity is humility. Don't forget that. Because if it's all about you, that that's what pride causes. You're not going to unify. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. That's our natural inborn selfishness. We're all about us. But if we looked around and we could understand what was going on in the hearts of every person here, we would be more concerned for the brothers and sisters in Christ in front of us, behind us, to the left, to the right of us. The truth is, I'll say it again... There are people this morning in this congregation that are hurting people. There are hurting wives that remain quiet. There are suffering husbands that remain quiet because we men don't want to give up our man card by saying, I'm hurting. There are teenagers that are hurting. There are elderly people are hurting. They're everywhere. If you say this morning, Brother Douglas, I am A-OK, that's fine, that's good, but your time is coming. Life is very much a roller coaster. We will have the good days and we will have the bad days. And Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tells us that. He says, don't look in the former days and say, what happened to the good old days? You're wasting your time. Now you're making today a bad day. And so again, he he makes it very clear and it's communicated very eloquently and very powerfully. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of the other. That means me as the guest speaker, I need to think about this gentleman right here and think, wonder what's going on in his heart. What are his heartaches? This dear couple right here, how are they doing? What heartaches have they experienced? This couple over here, very saintly, very mature couple, I'm certain that they have hurt sometime in their life. We've got to think about other people. So again, the big context is here, a call to unity. Now in chapter 4, and I'm laying this down because... Uh, after this sermon gets r- rolling here, I'm not going to break down the scripture like I'm doing today. But I always feel guilty if I don't break down the scripture and tell tell the people what God is saying to us. Amen. And so, verse uh, chapter number four, verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown to stand fast in the Lord. My dearly beloved. Now, listen to me. Let's look at the tone of Paul here. Does it sound like Paul is angry? absolutely not does it sound like paul is uncaring towards the people there at philippi the church at philippi absolutely my dearly beloved my crown of joy because i've heard people say in the next verse here that he really called these two ladies out i think he was he didn't confront them he carefronted them that's a new term isn't it you know we christians ought to do more carefronting than confronting people Hey, I heard you did this. Hey, that's not right. No, 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 no. That's confronting. And you know what confronting does? It distances relationships. You can say amen to that. If I know somebody cares for me and they confront me or carefront me, I'll listen to them. But unfortunately, in my life, in my experience, when somebody has confronted me, it only builds a wall. Husbands, wives, listen, you got to communicate difficult things. There's no perfect DNA in a marriage. We all have a fallen nature, and we get angry. We all have emotions. They're good and they're bad. Sometimes emotions are just like, oh, euphoria, I feel so wonderful. And then sometimes it's like, I want to kill everybody. (laughs) Care for it. Put that in your vocabulary. Let your emotions settle down. Throw some water on that flame that burns within you, that anger, because anger was created to destroy. Look at Genesis. God was angry at the earth's population. He destroyed. And when we use anger in a wrong way, we destroy. We destroy relationships. And so let's do the Christ-like thing, get control of ourselves before we speak. Parents, you've all done it, or at least you should do it, that before you chastise your child, you need to settle down. Now, my stepdad needed to hear that statement right there. Hello? He really did. He's not here to defend himself, but I'm just telling you, he, he was brutal. World War II veteran, and there was no th- such thing as care front at all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. And then verse number three, and I entreat thee also true yoke fellow. That word entreat is request. I request also true yoke fellow. Now, we don't hear that vocabulary in our modern-day language, but here's what Paul is saying. I request that you become loyal companions one to another. Is that okay? Wouldn't it be wonderful if this entire congregation, if every church... loyal companionship. And going back to chapter 2, if they cared about other people as much as they cared about themselves, what a powerful church. Hello? And this is what Paul is addressing to the church there at Philippi. Um, And uh, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also, and with all my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Backing up to verse 2, the two ladies are Euodius and Sintichi, and uh, they were not getting along. It is a common thing for people not to get along. Amen? All you married couples say amen. That's right. Even though you love each other, it, it can be difficult at times. And so he is very kindly carefronting them to say, "Get along, girls." A few months back, I was preaching out west in a city out west, and uh, when they called to invite me for the service uh, for the meeting, they said, "Brother Douglas, before you and before you accept this, I just want to let you know we're having some problems in our church. Our pastor recently resigned, and there are two ladies. They're very strong-willed ladies, and they're going at it. They're just butting heads, and it's really causing a lot of problems." I said, okay, I'll take that to my prayer closet and I'll consider, but I'll come out for anything else just to be an encouragement to you. So I got out there, greeted the people, and um, by the end of the church service, I knew at least one of the women that he was talking about. (laughs) Nobody had to point them out. Maybe the other one was absent or left the church, I'm not sure, but there definitely was a lady, a Martha-style lady. I mean, she had three young men gathered around, and she was calling out the plays and the bossing out, the barking, the bar- all the uh, everything that she had to do. And it's like, okay, there she is. So, But folks, listen to me. we got to be careful. And Paul carefully care-fronted them, and then he called for all of them to true yoke fellow. Not just those two ladies, but Clement and all fellow laborers. It's a call to true companionship. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness. And God, I do pray that your spirit would open our hearts. And I pray that it will be very evident that Brother Douglas' voice is a very faint voice compared to the spirit of God speaking to our hearts. God, you've called me to preach this message. And God, I pray not only will we hear it, but it will change our behavior and how we see one another within this congregation. Blessed with your mighty power, in Jesus' name, amen. How to build loyal relationships. I don't know about you, I'm I'm an introvert. Is that okay to say I'm an introvert? And I'm not ashamed of that. I just, I get my energy in isolation, and then people drain me. So about two hours after I leave here, I'm going to get charged up again, okay? Uh, Where the other side of the people, all the extroverts, they get their energy from people, being around people. There's great points on both sides there. But my point here is that we need to build very loyal relationships. And the thing that I was going to say here, relationships ought to be meaningful to each and every one of us. I don't like flimsy relationships. I really don't. I like deep and meaningful relationships. That's why my, if I had to name all my very, very close friends, I could name them probably right there on that, that number of fingers, right there. Now, I have a whole lot of associates, people I enjoy being around, but the real close ones is very few. In other words, many of you are like me. I don't let a whole lot of people in, but once they're in, they're in. They, they can do anything. I'm going to keep them there. And then on the flip side of the coin, let me have everybody come in. And then they throw them out as fast as they come in. Different personality types. We have to look beyond that, and we have to look one another, not just ourselves, and say, let's join together and unify this church and not just this church every church first of all number one we need a revival in loyal relationship within the church I'm also saying it this way we need to come out of our comfort zone we really do I am certain that there are people in here that don't know everybody in the church matter of fact most of you don't know everybody in the church but you need to start somewhere you really do it is a difficult thing. I wish my wife was here because she she would know the whole congregation within the day's time. She she knows their name, their social security number, how many dogs, how many pets, their grandchildren. She talks, 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 talks. I could be in this congregation, me and the raw. I know Mike and Paula. How you doing, Mike and Paula? How, you know, I know Rick and Lisa, and I know others here because I remember you from 2019. But if I am in just my old nature of how God created me, I won't meet people fast. And therein lies a problem. And the other ones that can meet everybody, those relationships need to become deep and meaningful. You know, Solomon said it in Ecclesiastes, you know, where are you going to go if you fall and you don't have anybody standing next to you? You fall down. You need somebody to lean on. You really do. You need that person in your life, and it's a shame, and I only have two or three of them in my life, that when I really need to communicate something that is deep on my heart and deep in my life, and uh, that I can only go to about three people outside of my family, that I can say, can I share something with you? And know for a fact that we'll never go past that relationship. Do you know something? It is betrayal. I forgot your name, but I recognize you. Ron. If I come to Ron, and Ron and I are friends, Braun, 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 like, hoof. If I come to Braun, he's taking it to the 10th degree, okay? We'll just hush this guy up. Yeah. I come to Braun and said, "Bron, can I share something with you? Well, sure, Dave, go ahead. But Braun, you must promise me it will not go any further than this. Oh, sure, sure. And I pour my heart out. And then the next week I find out people know about what we talked about. It's happened to many of us here. It's called betrayal. I perhaps may have a counseling ministry for that one reason, because when people come and dump on me and tell me some really extraordinary things, that's where it ends right there. It ends. I may not be the best counselor around, but I, can, I won't betray people. And it starts here because everybody here, there's many wives here today that would like to go to some other wife and say, can I just share my heart? I'll feel better if I could just go, And then sometimes they do that, but only to find out it's making the circulation because there's people in every church that have the gift of journalism. (laughs) Let me spread this. That'll make me feel good. I have this. And I just got one word for you, repent. I'm not fussing. I'm not angry at anybody. But I'm doing what Paul's doing. I'm calling for unity in the church. I don't get angry when people do that because I get human behavior. But all the, it'll only be surface talk from now on, Bron. Sorry. You told on me, man. (laughs) So there needs to be a call to loyal relationships, and we need to come out of our comfort zone, and we need to meet people that we don't know, and we need to get in deeper relationships, not being invasive to people, but just being good, godly, kind, humble Christians one to another. Leaders, families, men and women competing one against another will not produce the strength of unity. Competition is one of the number one factors that divide unity. Listen, there is a place for competition. I was very athletic growing up. My brothers were very athletic. I played football and I played baseball. You put the pads, you put the helmet on me, and it's all competition. I'm not looking for meaningful relationships. I'm not saying, hey, brother, how you doing? As a matter of fact, I'm saying, I want to kill you. When you bring that spirit into the church, It hurts. Well, how do we do that? We don't play football at this church. No, but we compete for the premier family, the premier marriage, the displayed family. Look at us. We dot all of our fundamental I's and we cross all of our fundamental T's. We're the premier family. Well, let's see what God thinks about that. Hello, it's getting quiet here. Well, I had more on my bus route or van route, and I had more in my Sunday school class. How many did you have, brother? Well, why are we asking that question? When we totally eliminate competition within the church, the church is going to begin to unify. Amen. Listen, I have seen churches. I'm not preaching against anything I've seen that church, because the only thing I have seen is good things. I may be preaching this sermon to the wrong church. But you know what? Knowing human behavior... It's everywhere. It is everywhere. We don't need any more Marthas. We need hardworking Marthas, but we don't need bossy Marthas, burden overburdened Marthas, and we don't need Diotrephes. He loved the preeminence of men. We don't. It hurts the unity. Well, we all can come and gather together as the. A family of God in the spirit of humility, it'll unify. And now more than any time, perhaps in our lifetime, perhaps some of you older gentlemen and ladies and mature, rather, I don't like to use the word old because because I am old and it really is offensive to me. So I'm going to use the word mature. You may have seen difficult times. I grew up in the Vietnam War. I grew up with all the riots that were going on colleges. I remember Kent State very clearly. I was just a little boy, but I remembered. I remember the assassinations of JFK, literally. Uh, uh, his brother Bobby Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King. I remember all that turmoil. But fortunate for me, I was just a child. I didn't have to worry about it much. But now, I grieve. Now, My spirit at times can be very sorrowful. But I hide it and I take it to a back shelf and I hang it on that back shelf because I don't want my children and my grandchildren to think Papa is hurting. I'll put on the front. Listen, we need to unify greatly. Get off the TV, turn the news off. It's not going to make you a better Christian. I had to totally eliminate it. Why? Because it makes me angry. I'm like your pastor. I could easily go and reenlist. I, I, I really could. I could easily say, put me on the front lines. But now the war is at home. It is a domestic war. All right, I'm going to stop discouraging you now, but I'm trying to convince you there needs to be unity. Let's talk about the unhealthy fruits of a competitive spirit. First of all, we make self-centered choices that grieves instead of encourages others. And this is what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 2, I believe it was verse 3. Don't make a choice based upon what you want, but how about your family members? How about the church members? In other words, consider other people. Next, the love and compassion of Christ is dim. I'm going to tell you exactly what really makes the the uh, Christ really shine. It's humble Christians. It is grateful Christians. It is obedient Christians. And all three are ingredients of being aware of God's grace because when we become aware of the goodness of God and his grace that is bestowed upon us, number one, it will humble us. Number two, it will make us grateful. Number three, it will make us obedient. How could I not serve a heavenly father that has been so good to me? You know, um, On this point here, um, during the Vietnam War, some veterans are out here, you like this story. But we really do need to show the compassion of Christ. They knew, the snipers knew, that if they wounded an American soldier, they could get a greater body count by wounding him than they could by killing him. You know why? Because the compassion of the American soldiers would come and rescue him. And they were all targets. I'll be a target for Christ. If Satan wants to target me because I'm compassionate on people and I'm concerned about their welfare instead of my welfare, go ahead. Put a bullet in me, the devil. And this is the spirit that every church needs. Sometimes we need to sacrifice our pleasure and our comfort because somebody is hurting and they may be sitting right next to you. Next... the unhealthy fruits of a competitive spirit is we begin to see others as obstacles instead of opportunities. Unfortunately, I've been in churches that are very much like this. Not a whole lot different from the secular world. You know, some of you work out in the secular world and it's a rat race. I've been there before. We'll do everything. I've counseled with people who say they'll lie about me. We're talking about their secular company. They'll, do, they'll cheat They'll steal things from me. It's absurd what goes on out there. And when that philosophy and behavior is brought into the church, people come and then they go. They go when they see it. Because that's what the world offers. But here, it ought to become to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to zone everything out. We come here to worship our Savior So we begin to see others as obstacles. Next, we begin to look down on others. And again, Paul mentioned that in Philippians chapter 2. From our very lofty position, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. Next, there's resentment and animosity. You know, I had to come to grips with this because I have a pride nature just like you. When somebody is promoted or somebody is elevated, good for them. I got to put away my own carnal nature. I really do. And if we could really see ourselves for who we are, and God has given me many glimpses of what is inside of here, and you know what? There's nothing impressive. Nothing. I know what a wretch I am. I don't let it go to self loathing or self hatred, though. I just say, God, I need more grace. I need to know your grace in a way that I've never known it before so I can be humble, so I can be grateful, so I can be obedient. That's what the church of God needs right now. We need humble Christians that look to others, people and say, you okay, brother, you okay? Sister, you okay? You okay? You okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Think about our saintly people who can't come to church anymore. Certainly knowing you're a pastor, you have a ministry for those people. What about for the person who's been coming to church, but they don't go, well, man, they, they left us, man. We'll find out why. Maybe you can hear an ear, and I promise you they're going to be critical. They're going to be one of two things. They're going to be tight-lipped, or they're going to be critical. But perhaps if someone shows them the love of Christ, folks, I am telling you, I do what I'm preaching right now. Talk to me. Get it all out. Vomit on me if you have to vomit on me. All they need is one person to reach out and help them. As I say it in my counseling office, you're lost in the deep, dark woods, and I'm going to grab you by the hand. I have a compass. I have a GPS. I have a map, and I'm going to lead you out of these deep, dark woods. There's all kinds of people that need lead out of the deep, dark woods. Next thing is this. We forget about God's blessings by building our own Tower of Babel. That's self-explanation. Again, we can't be about us, 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 me, me, me. Number two, the Great Commission must not become the Great Competition. Oops, did I just say that? I said it, the Great Commission must not become the great competition. The Great Commission is necessary. We need to go to the neighborhood. We need to go to the city. We need to go to the county. We need to go to the region, the state, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But when it becomes a competition, now we're hurting the church. We ought to humbly do it. And again, unfortunately, I have seen this before where we hurt each other fulfilling the great commission. It is not the great competition. Next is this, the great commandment cannot be ignored. The great commandment and the great commission, the great commandment says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. It is not to be ignored. Next, create a social relational fo- focus. In other words, do what Philippians chapter 4 And Philippians chapter two is talking about. By the way, can I just say it'll transform your life? I'm not patting myself on the back because I've made so many mistakes in life. But I've come to the point in my life, I've realized there is great reward in forgetting about myself and living for other people. There's great rewards when I get a phone call late at night and I hear a sobbing voice. I say, where are you at? I'll be there. Am I tired? You betcha I'm tired. There's great reward when family, husbands and wife, are just at each other's throat, and they're cursing, literally cursing each other, and I get to catch their vomit and then kindly and calmly tell them it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Every one of you, in some manner, can do the same thing. Teenagers can do that also. Teenagers, I'm just just telling you, Teenagers and children are very selfish. No, we adults are, were very selfish. But you moms learned not to be selfish when you had children. <laughs> that took away your selfishness. And we need to repent of these type of things and think about other people. Consider who sits next to you right now, today. Who is sitting next to you? Consider each of God's children who enter Cornerstone Baptist Church. On every pew, there's someone hurting. Someone needs encouragement. Someone fears tomorrow. Spoke to a pastor from a distant state last night who's going through some really tough anxiety issues. And uh, talked to him for almost an hour. There's someone here that feels rejected. There's someone here that feels very, very lonely. There's someone here that has lost their direction in life. There is someone here this morning that's feeling very cynical and skeptical. Skeptical. That's a toxic poison within their spirit. There's someone here that needs a smile. There's someone here that needs a handshake. There's someone here that just needs a hug to let those endorphins explode in your brain that says, I feel better just because I got a hug. And yes, it's okay for men to hug each other. You're not weird because you do that. Consider the widow. Consider the widower who has to live in four walls of memories without their spouse, who they probably lived with for decades. Have they been visited? Consider the husband who has lost his job due to COVID. Consider the single mother, And by the way, hats off to all those single mothers. I was raised by a single parent, my brothers and I, for several years, for six years. Single mother who works tirelessly to care for her family. Consider the chronically ill. I have been sick for extended period of times, but not week and week and week and month and month and month. Consider the poor. Every day is a struggle to them. Consider those who were abused as a child or adolescent. I've counseled with many of them. Consider those who feel they don't belong. Consider those who don't feel loved or accepted. Consider those suffering from depression. Consider those trapped by, the sins, by sin's power. Consider those who have been overcome by fear and anxiety. They're here amongst you this morning. They don't talk about it. And they may not talk about it. If you come to them and say, tell me about yourself. What you got to do is smile. What you have to do is talk. What you have to do is develop meaningful relationships. What you have to do is do what I do. I met a man in the gym. Didn't know him, but he must have weighed all of 400 pounds. Big old African-American guy. And I just, for a couple different days, I just observed him. And finally, I walked up to him. I said, hey, brother, I could tell he's trying to lose weight. I said, my name's Dave. What's yours? He said, Ernest. I said, Ernest, I want to help you. And I gave him my counseling card, and he gave me his card. He was a real estate agent. And we're going to go out to lunch. Now, I don't know what's happened to him in his life, but I do know he's going to try. And I know that anybody who tries in that situation, they need an encourager. You can be an encourager for somebody. Yes, here's, here's American church. We come, we sit, we listen, we leave. Yep. We come, we sit, we listen, we leave. Well, at least I went to church. Come, sit, talk, learn. Do something for somebody else. Amen. Amen. That strengthens the church. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three through five, Paul gives the ingredients of how to help hurting people. God gives the ingredients, and he says, "Don't waste your sufferings. I won't take time to read it, but we, with the comfort that God comforted us, are to take it and comfort other people. I've been through a lot in my life, and this is why I can comfort so many people, because I've been there. I know what it's like to be in a divorce home. I know what it's like being locked up in jail two times. I know what it's like to be addicted to drugs. I know all that stuff. I also know the power of Jesus Christ and what salvation did to me. So each and every one of you, you have, and even our younger folks here, You have experiences that you could be helping other people, and that is God's plan for helping hurting people. Comfort them with the same comfort God comforted you. Again, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Next is this, shared struggle is endurable struggle. Shared struggle is endurable struggle. I don't like to struggle alone, but you know what? When I was struggling after a heart attack back in 2018 and then right after that, Uh, had some respiratory issues and was taking eight different medications that just almost sent me to the funny farm, I reached out to my doctor and he took 45 minutes of his time, 45 minutes while the waiting room was full and settled me down and gave me a natural prescription that within moments, within probably 30 seconds, I could feel my brain changing. No, it was not cocaine. (laughs) You're all saying, what was that stuff? Give it to me. (laughs) I will be endeared to him for the rest of my life. My adult Sunday school class, 80% of them are people that I've counseled before. In other words, I help them in their darkest moments. And they have become very loyal to me. You want to expand your friendship, your base of meaningful relationships, help somebody. Help somebody. Stop just thinking about yourself and reach out to other people. And if everybody's okay here, there's all kinds of rest homes around here of very, very lonely people, probably can't go now due to COVID. How about being nice to the waitress? How about showing them the love of Christ, even if they get the order wrong, even if they burn the food, even if they're rude? Show them the love of Christ. It's called redemptive love. How about in your marriage showing some redemptive love? Well, I just can't respect Him. I just can't love her. She never respects me. Okay, let's just keep on going in that cycle and see what happens to that marriage. Someone's going to have to practice redemptive love. Redemptive love is when you get hung on the cross and you didn't do anything, and you don't try to return anything either. You find it in First uh, Peter chapter 2, chapter verses 17, 18, 19 20, right in there. Redemptive love. If I treated people like they treated me, I would treat some people bad. But somewhere someone in your family, in your church, in the community needs to see redemptive love. In every church, there are people that need to forgive, bury it, but they hurt me. Redemptive love. Don't return, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No, 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 redemptive love. In comforting others, we share co-fortitude. We become strong together. It's not natural for us to care about others. It's super natural. Quick story, and I'm finished. A while back, it's been a while, an adult lady came to me in tears took her several moments to get herself composed to communicate to me. She said, I didn't want to come to you, but somebody told me I needed to come to you. She told me a story that just sent chills down my spine of abuse, sexual abuse, by a spiritual leader. My emotions were all over the charts. Where's he at? I'll go. I'll lock him up. Better yet, I'll never mind. (laughs) And through many, many tears. I said, step one, I'm fast forwarding. We need to forgive. I pushed my chair back. I got a huge chair because she said I just can't forgive him. I have a book about this, just a big book of information. I said, could you hold this without any explanation? I says, is it heavy? She said, yes. I said, hold it. And then I began to explain to her Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 33, about the servant who was forgiven a debt he could not repay, but went to another fellow servant who could repay the debt, but he would not accept it, abusing God's grace. I was telling this story, and I could tell she was very uncomfortable, and now her arm is shaking. I said, is that still heavy? She goes, yes. I said, what do you think would happen if you had to hold that for like a month? Oh, I couldn't. I said, how about a year? I couldn't. Tears begin to well up. I said, what if you had to hold that for about 35 years? That's the exact mount that she and she bust down crying. I said, Can I take it off your hand? And she held it, gave it to me. She finally got what forgiveness was all about. If there's somebody here that you hold ill will towards somebody and you are abusing the grace that God gave to you and forgave you, but you won't forgive somebody. It's hurting the unity of family. It's hurting the unity of the church. God is a gracious God. Paul gives absolutely perfect instructions on how the church needs to be unified. You know why? Because he was inspired of God. And we need to take and bury everything that is preventing us from reaching out and having meaningful relationships. You say, Brother Douglas, this is my first time here. I hope You get to know people. But if nobody comes to you, here's what you do. You just walk up to them. My name's Dave. What's your name? Hi, Dave. I'm Bruce. Bruce. Nice to meet you. You say I'm an introvert. So am I. But there's one thing I've learned about being an introvert. I must come out of my comfort zone. Because if I had my way, I would be where I grew up in the Pacific Northwest probably in a log cabin living off grid and hating people it's just not good